sisters. Welcome to the Out of This World Relationship Podcast, a podcast designed for busy women just like you who want better relationships. I'm your host, Tamara Rasmussen, and together we're going to tackle some of life's most difficult relationship issues. Whether you're in your car on your way to work, shuffling kids to school, or sipping coffee on the back porch, it is no accident that you're here. With God, there are no accidents, only divine appointments. There is always room at my table, so pull up a chair and take a seat. Let's dive in. Hey, I am so glad that you are here. I wanted to take a second to let you know that today's podcast includes some pretty sensitive material. So if you have little ears around, I recommend that you listen to it later when you have some privacy. This week, we're going to be discussing myths about sex. So this is going to be our very last marriage boot camp episode, and it is going to segue into a series about sex. We're going to be talking about different aspects of sex related to marriage, parenting, and even friendships. Sex is a major part of who we are as human beings. We like to do it, but we don't really like to talk about it. And maybe some of us don't even like to do it, and we don't want to talk about that either. But sex is definitely something that is a big part of who we are, whether we like to talk about it or not. I know that this subject can be uncomfortable, but I also know that so many of you are struggling in silence in different areas of your sex life and in your sexuality. It is my hope that over the next few weeks, you will feel educated, you will feel seen, heard, supported, and encouraged. So let's dive in. Sex is kind of a big deal. Not only is it one of the leading causes for divorce, it is also one of the most painful aspects of marriage. And when I say that it is one of the leading causes of divorce, I'm speaking to sexual issues in marriage. We're going to talk a bit about that in future sessions, but today we're going to talk about myths about sex. Although it is one of the very first things that most couples seek from each other when they get married, when they start dating, it is also one of the very first things that they end up fighting about, and it causes a lot of distress. One of the first myths is if you wait until marriage, it will be perfect. This is not a case against waiting until marriage. There are a lot of good reasons to respect God's divine design for sex. Among the top of those reasons is that the divorce rate is still by far the lowest for people who had one sexual partner, which is the person that they're married to. However, issues still exist. There are women who enter my office on a regular basis who are really struggling with sexual issues in their marriage. These are women who saved themselves. They did all the quote unquote right things, and yet they are still experiencing so much trauma. Often this issue is correlated with a lack of knowledge and information. When a woman who is waited finds out that they have sexual disorders like vaginismus, pain during intercourse, they have infertility issues, they can struggle with feelings of betrayal. All of the ideas that they had about the beauty of sex when they got married got smashed for most of them on their wedding night. 
The reality is, is that sex can be a problem in any marriage, whether you had great sex in the beginning or whether you had no sex in the beginning and you did everything according to the word. There's a lot of shame associated with sexual issues in marriage. It's something that people don't really talk about. And those who wait for marriage are often the most oppressed. There is a value associated with that. And being raised in oppressive environments leads to some issues in the brain as far as how we perceive sex, especially the older we get and the less experience we have. We tend to become more and more close to the idea so that we can preserve our goal of staying pure until we're married. So for a lot of these women, it's very emotional. It's very shameful. It's very confusing because nobody really talks about the mechanics, the emotions, the communication, the vulnerability that exists within having sex with your partner. So if that's you, I want to speak to your heart. There are so many women out there who are suffering in silence. Many of the women that I have met with have told me that They've been suffering for many, many years, some of them 20 years or more, having never orgasmed, having never experienced pleasurable sex, some of them having had no sex for many, many years. I encourage you that if that is you, or if you are just starting out in your marriage and you're seeing that there are issues, please do not wait to get help. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope for you. There is help for you, and there is no need for you to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed about. Our second myth is that if you test drive a few people and find the perfect sexual chemistry, you'll have a great sex life for the duration of your marriage. This is a very popular concept. In fact, I'm a little bit shocked by the number of parents that I've met with more recently. In my office, friends, online, I've seen a real trend where parents are actually jumping on board with the idea of their children living with someone before they get married and having multiple sexual partners with the idea that if you do that and you find just the right chemistry, the chances of divorce lessen. But the reality is that's not true. The more sexual partners a person has, the statistics don't lie. The more likely they are to end up in a divorce. There's also some other factors that most people don't think about, and it's interesting because before I went into sex therapy and marriage counseling, I really didn't think that this was as big of a deal as it really is. I've met with couples that have been married for 15 to even up to 25 years who are still struggling with issues of comparison, jealousy, insecurity, trauma, distress, and love addiction all of them stemming from activities they had and relationships they were in prior to their marriage. So once you've had sex with many partners, it's difficult not to compare. Our brains remember things. Our body keeps the score. And if we find ourselves with married to someone who doesn't have the same skill set as someone else that we had pleasure with, we have a difficult time. Not to mention the fact that when our bodies are activated, we tend to pull on memories that had similar content and feelings. And so we have a hard time not fantasizing about previous experiences. Jealousy, a lot of times, and this happens for both sides, both men and women, when they feel like their partner had been with other people who are more attractive or maybe had a better sex life with, there tends to be some jealousy, especially if there's insecurity. And that jealousy can lead to insecurity or 
it can be caused by insecurity. The other thing is the more sexual activity a person engages in before they're married, the more likely it is that they've experienced trauma. Sexual trauma is no joke. And the fact is, the more open you are to sexual encounters, the more likely it is that you're going to be victimized in some way. This happens for many people in the college years. When you're engaging in more risky behavior, you're in situations where you might be meeting with somebody that you don't know so well, or even people that you know very well. Most date rapes happen with somebody that you're very familiar with. So this is a reality. A lot of women in particular struggle with trauma that comes from their early sexual life, and that can really rear its head in marriage. The same thing as before, when your body experiences a similar feeling, you have those flashbacks, you have those memories, that's trauma in the same way that it triggers pleasurable memories with somebody else. I'm going to be talking about some of the things that happen in the brain in a later episode that you might find very interesting and surprising. Our next myth is you have to have sex once a week or more to be considered sexually healthy. Sisters, quality over quantity. Quantity does not equal health, just like a thin body doesn't equal a healthy body. This is probably one of the most damaging myths that exists out there today where people feel pressured to define the quality of their sex life by the amount of times that you're having sex a week. There's some comparison. I, I've I've had this in circles with friends where there's a discussion about how often are you doing this? And there's a lot of shame for women and possibly men too, when they feel like that their sex life isn't up to snuff. The reality is, is that it's not about quantity. It really is about quality and all of the other factors that exist within your marriage. If we are going to use quantity as a way of qualifying the health of our sex life, we have to consider the fact that lots of people in really damaged marriages have sex very often. Here's some reasons why they might have sex very often. Distraction. They're distracting themselves from things that are going on. It's easier to have sex than it is to be vulnerable and have a conversation about something. They might also be manipulating their spouse. They don't really want to address certain things. And so they use sex to distract them from it and redirect the attention to something else. Sex is also a coping skill. A lot of couples will resort to having sex because they're uncomfortable. They don't really know how to deal with the situation or with the emotions that are involved. So they just have sex, which basically prevents them from fully processing through whatever they're struggling with. Sex is also a manipulation tool for a lot of people. People can use it as a tool to avoid conflict. It's a way of getting back in with that person without having to actually address the hurts that have been caused. Sex addiction is also another factor, and it's a lot more common than people think. Having sex with a sex addiction is not the same thing as having intimacy. A sex addiction is purely carnal, and it is something that is highly destructive. If a person feels like they are only being pursued for a carnal need for an addictive purpose, it can cause a great deal of hurt, and it is far outside God's purpose and design for sex and marriage. It can be abusive, it can be obsessive, and it's also an indication of other behaviors that might exist 
One myth that is near and dear to my heart is that men always want to have sex. So this is an area that is exceptionally vulnerable for a lot of women. It's very isolating to be the woman in the crowd whose husband is not interested in having sex with her. The reality is, is that there are fewer men who have this issue than don't, but there are plenty of men that do. And women will find themselves in circles where the other women around them are discussing that their husband can't keep their hands off of them and that's all they want. And they're complaining about it while this woman whose husband seems to have no interest in her is really struggling and suffering because she's asking those questions. What's wrong with me? Why doesn't my husband want me? If all men love sex, there must be something wrong with me. The truth is not all men want sex all the time. There are a number of factors that exist that can create a lack of desire for men. And I am going to talk more about that in a future episode. But for right now, I want to speak to those women who feel like that they are alone in this. You are not alone. So many women are in this situation and it is so isolating. And I can speak with confidence that 99% of the time, It is not something about you. And maybe your husband has told you that. Maybe he said, it's not you. I love you. I'm attracted to you, but he's still not pursuing you. And because of the way the world is and because of the way culture is, you still have a hard time not internalizing the idea that it is something wrong with you. I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable with you. One of the reasons why I went into sex therapy and got some training on this in the very beginning of my career is because my husband and I actually struggled with this for the first few years of our marriage. It was devastating. I had this idea that it was going to be a great part of our marriage. I felt like I wasn't going to have some of the issues that other women had with not desiring sex. And I just assumed that my husband would be like any other guy and that he'd be very sexual. And so it would work out great. But the harsh reality was that wasn't the case. My husband had a very low sexual baseline and it took us years to really figure out what, what the issue was. I assumed I was overweight when we got married and I had a lot of self-esteem issues. And so it was very easy for me to blame, blame it on that and think it's, it's gotta be that he's not attracted to me, even though he told me over and over and over again, that that wasn't the case. Well, some years into our marriage, I actually took some control over my health. I ended up losing a hundred pounds, believe it or not. And I got very fit. I was extremely athletic at the time and it didn't make any difference in our engagement. And so for me, that was the moment when I realized that what was going on with him was so much more than what I thought it was. I really thought it would be easier to explain it away by saying it's got to be because he's not attracted to me. But I started to really believe my husband and we began sifting through what some of the potential causes could be. And it was very freeing. It was very healing to remove the blame on myself and recognize that, you know what, sometimes men just struggle in this area. And there are a whole variety of factors that contribute to that. And that is something that I am going to be talking about in a future podcast. But for right now, I just want to honor you sisters out there who feel like you're alone in this, who are assuming that your husband is not attracted to you. And I want you to know there is healing. There is hope. God redeemed that area of our marriage. 
And there was a time that I didn't think that he would be able to. I really did not think he would be able to, but I'm here to tell you that if you invite God into that part of your struggle, he will show up for you. Our last myth is that only men struggle with pornography and sexual addiction. Although far, far fewer women admit to having an issue with pornography, so we know that the statistics we have are not representative of the actual number, it is growing. There is a growing percentage of women who are engaging in and admitting to pursuing pornography. Pornography has become very socially acceptable. It is not frowned upon like it used to be in many, many circles. It's readily available. There's things on regular television that at one time would have been considered pornographic that are now just acceptable. Women are engaging in reading material. Even Christian book clubs are engaging in reading material that is very pornographic in nature and not thinking a second thing about it because it's so normalized for us. Why does this matter? Well, it was already a problem with men, and that's also growing. But one third of divorce litigation involves an online affair. And the reality is, is that most online affairs are preceded by engaging in pornography. Pornography is a very significant factor in women filing for divorce in particular. And as I said, It is connected with somebody finally taking the leap into actually pursuing a physical partner. Most people are really surprised by their own behavior when they engage in an affair. They're not expecting that the things that they're seeing and the things that they're doing to actually bleed over into action. But the Bible's right when it says that our thoughts precede our actions. What we think is what we do. And that is why God was very clear that our thoughts our sin. If we even think it, we may as well have done it because it is the same in his eyes because he knows how we function. He knows our human brain. What's interesting is that most affairs happen with an in-law. So like a brother-in-law, a sister-in-law, a mutual friend. This is not uncommon where maybe you and your spouse hang out with another couple on a regular basis and there ends up being an affair between one or the other of those spouses. That is way more common than people realize. Coworkers, people who travel a lot for work, people who spend a lot of time at the office, a lot of people spend more time at the office than they do with their families. So it stands to reason that if you are isolated from your family, you're not connected to your spouse, you're not communicating well, you're not having intimacy regularly, that you would find yourself falling into a relationship with somebody that you work with. Also, social media connections. Social media has become a vehicle for affairs and sexual immorality. It is so easy to access. And for so many people, they find themselves sucked into an affair without even realizing what's happening. They're just messaging an old high school friend or somebody from college or somebody at work not even realizing that they're building that relationship until it's too late. Part of maintaining the sexual health of our marriage is keeping good boundaries. And so our final myth is that you can have relationships with the opposite gender without any risk of affair. A lot of people will maybe hold their breath at this because they say, hey, but I have a best friend who's not my husband who I would never sleep with. That might be true, 
but most of the time, this is a pretty dangerous area. We have to be so careful. We have to have our armor on all the time, have our guard up all the time. All the enemy needs is a little tiny crack to get a foothold into our lives and into our relationships. We have to be above reproach when it comes to the way that we engage with other people, including the time that we spend with other couples. We need to be aware of the level of intimacy that we're building with other people instead of with our spouse. If we find it difficult to be alone together and not need other people around all the time, that's a bit of a warning sign. You've got to be able to to share companionship, intimacy, and fun, good times with your spouse without anybody else involved. Sisters, I realize that some of the myths we discussed today might have been triggering for you. Maybe you're really struggling in your marriage right now. Maybe you're struggling with pornography. Maybe you're engaged in an affair. Maybe your husband is. I want to encourage you to lean in to the next few weeks of this series and look at it as an opportunity to begin the healing process. Maybe your marriage is great and you're not having any issues sexually, but chances are someone around you is. And sometimes you may not really know what to say to them, how to encourage them, how to provide the right information. There are some things in the next few episodes that might really help you with that. Our next two episodes are going to be good sex and bad sex. We're going to be talking about the principles of what makes a good sex life and a bad sex life in marriage. And I'm going to provide you some tips to improve those areas if you need to. Talking about sex is uncomfortable, but I hope that you will feel safe in this space exploring this area of your life that's probably been neglected. I am so looking forward to diving into this topic with you. If you are benefiting from this podcast, I would love to hear from you. Please send me a message and let me know what you think, provide some feedback, and consider sharing it with a friend that you think would benefit from the content. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed week.